Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Jesus Christ. Join Pastor Mike as he teaches through the Gospel of Luke. Take your Bibles and turn this morning to Luke chapter 9. We're looking at verses 27 through 36. And as you turn to that passage, I just want to ask you this question. What do you need to see and or experience to believe without any doubt that Jesus is the divine Son of God, the promised Messiah, the exclusive Savior for sinners, the everlasting King of creation? What do you need to see? What do you need to experience to to believe that in the deepest recess of your soul without any doubt whatsoever? If you saw him exercise control over the spirit realm, you personally saw that, would that do it for you? If you saw him heal a man from leprosy and saw his skin become clean and bright, no, no, no sores, no, no illness anymore, would that do it for you? If you witnessed him healing a, a paraplegic and you saw that person come back to full mobility, would that seal the deal? If you saw him take control of wind and waves, if you witnessed him raising the dead to life, would that do it? What if he gave you, he told you, I'm giving you the power to go out and to heal and to cast out evil spirits. I'm giving you my authority. And then you went out and you put it to the test and it actually happened. Would that do it? What if you were there and you saw five loaves and two fish be multiplied before your very eyes and feed over 10,000 people with 12 baskets full of scraps left over? Would that convince you? You know, the disciples were firsthand witnesses to all of this and much more. Each miracle that Jesus performed shouted to the highest peaks and the lowest valleys that these things I've just been talking about are the works of God. And so, what else could a person conclude if they were there seeing those things? What else could they conclude than that this one Jesus who is doing these works is, in fact, God? What else could you conclude? But what if that wasn't enough? What more could Jesus do to reveal himself? What more could he do to take away any shred of doubt, giving you unquenchable faith in him? Perhaps he could unzip the suit of flesh that he was living in and and let the glory of his true self radiate, filling your eyes with unimaginable light and your souls with untold splendor. Perhaps he could introduce you to the two men who represent the law that governs and the prophecies that inform. Perhaps the Father could speak from his eternal throne in heaven, identifying Jesus as his Son and instructing you to listen to him. What do you think? Do you think that if you experience these things, that any doubt would remain in you? Would there be any desire to to chart your own course and go your own way and, and, and allow your life to just go with whatever feels right? Or do you think that you might fall on your face on the ground shouting, my Lord and my God? 
You know, the disciples at this point, when we come to Luke 9 and and this particular passage, they have lived and learned from Jesus for nearly two years, and they have personally witnessed all the miraculous works mentioned here in the opening of this message. And all of this that they had witnessed ultimately led Peter to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we know as we go through this passage that after Peter made this profession, Jesus began to tell them what was going to happen soon to him, that he would suffer rejection from the religious elite, that he would be killed, that he would be raised to life on the third day. And from there, Jesus began to lay out what it would mean to continue following him. And and as he did that, we come to understand that it wouldn't be all unicorns and rainbows, as they like to say. There would be tough times. There would be a cost for being his disciple. But as much as there's a cost, there were also many blessings and many favors. Jesus assured them that the thing they wanted most, which was the the, the manifestation of the kingdom of God, he assured them that some of them right there who were standing with him, some of them would, would be able to see it before they died. They would not pass from this earth until they got a glimpse of it. And out of all this, we find that eight days later, six, if you don't include the day that uh, he spoke these things, and then the day they occurred, three of the 12 were on their way to a mountain where Jesus would pray. And what they could not know, what they did not know, is that while on that mountain, they would witness firsthand a metamorphosis, the glory of God in Jesus, veiled by human flesh, would break out in all of its magnificent radi- radiance. Not only that, but they would meet saints from ages gone by. And not only that, they would receive a personal message from Almighty God in heaven. We find all that recorded in our passage today. Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which was about to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the the men were parting from, from Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Uh, Let us make three tents or tabernacles or or booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And we get the little note that said he said those things, but he really didn't know what he was saying. He was just kind of babbling off uh, in excitement. And as he was saying these things, in other words, as Peter was babbling on, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. In case you haven't noticed, the world's been plunged headlong again into the Christmas season. 
with all of its discounts, with all of its expectations, with all of its must-have items. And while shoppers swarm the stores and melt down the internet getting those deals, the sweet refrains of better Christmases past cascade from speakers telling everyone who will listen what Christmas is supposed to really be about. If you walk around in the mall, you'll hear those songs ever so often. Songs like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And if we look at verse 2 of that particular song, we find that it speaks directly to the things that we're looking at in this passage today. Notice the lyrics. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. And then we come to this line, and this is the line that, that applies. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. When we think of who and what Jesus is. Truth point number one this morning tells us this, that by the decree of God, the radiance of divine splendor was veiled by Jesus' humanity. His flesh covered who and what he really is. But we find in our passage that Peter, James, and John were blessed to see the veil lifted and the inherent glory of Jesus shine with otherworldly in intensity. How did that happen? Well, we see from Luke that as Jesus was praying there, that his, his face began to change. I want you to try to imagine that. And you can because you've all been to the Hollywood movies where you've seen shapeshifters and all the rest of that kind of stuff. You've seen people morph into all kinds of strange things. So imagine as Jesus is there, just like you and me in the flesh, and he's praying, and all of a sudden his face begins to become different than what we're accustomed to seeing. If we turn over to Matthew, who also records this account, Matthew says that his face was literally shining like the sun. Have you ever tried to look into the sun for very long? It's kind of a stupid thing to do. I've done it occasionally, and man, my eyes are hurting just after a couple of seconds. But Matthew's commentary on this is that his face was shining just like that, the radiance. Mark records that his clothing became whiter and brighter than any launderer on earth could possibly make them. Most likely that's because the glory that was inside of his flesh was coming out and those clothes that were on his flesh couldn't contain it and they just began to just burn in light and brilliance because of what was coming out of him. From Luke again, we find that the word there translated glistening in some of your translations means emitting light, which, which really translates to give us the idea of, of, of flashes like lightning. You know, um, what Peter, James, and John saw on the mountain that day, honestly, there just aren't words to describe it. I guess we could try to make a movie and try to make something of it, but probably that would fail and fall short as well. So they tried to describe it. They've given us a few words. They've given us something to think about. 
But since there aren't adequate words to describe it, we just say what we know we can say. And that is that those three men witnessed God, the Son's divine glory, breaking through his humanity. As Peter, James, and John began to come to grips with what was going on with Jesus, and that would take a few minutes, I would think, maybe a little more than a few minutes, they all of a sudden noticed that there were two other people that were there talking with Jesus. They also were in a glorified state, I'm confident, not as glorious as Jesus, but nonetheless, they were glorified as well. And all three gospel writers that record the transfiguration, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and, and uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all identify that these two men uh, were Moses and Elijah. And uh, since these men had never met Moses or Elijah, and since there were no photographs of Moses and Elijah, I don't even probably believe there was any sketches of Moses and Elijah. We just, we just have to assume then that there was some kind of an introduction that was made. But why Moses and Elijah? Why are they there with Jesus? I mean, if a couple of folks are going to join him, why not Abraham? Why not King David? Why not some of the other great heroes of the faith? Why Moses and Elijah? And the question is answered in this way, that it may very well come back to their association with the law. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.